Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookend brought to you by Quail Ridge Books, Raleigh, North Carolina's trusted community bookstore. My guest today is award-winning and New York Times best-selling author Azar Nafisi. She is the author of Reading Lolita in Tehran, Things I've Been Silent About in the Republic of Imagination. Her new book is Read Dangerously, which is published by our friends at Day Street, an imprint of William Morrow. Azar, welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to be here. It is an honor to have you here. And my first question for you, uh, Azar, is something that I've been asking people a lot over the last couple of years. Uh, Where are you in the world at present? And how have these past couple of years of the COVID-19 pandemic been there? I am at the nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and uh, COVID uh, has had quite an effect on my life, especially psychologically, I think. Um, I kept remembering um, the uh, war. We had an eight-year war with Iraq while I was living in the Islamic Republic of Iran. Mm. And um, the war, the bombs and rockets were um, part of our uh, intimate lives. Mm. They, uh, you could not leave them behind even when they weren't there. And um, that is how I felt with COVID, but only um, COVID is silent. It's cold and clammy, you know. Uh, But one difference with war, and one thing that has really affected my life, has been that while in Iran, the war made us all very close to one another. Uh, During blackouts, sometimes 20 people would sleep uh, in one home and not go home. So not only did we get closer to our friends and uh, loved ones, but we got closer to strangers. Mm -hmm. Uh, But with COVID, it's the exact opposite. Uh, You have to avoid your loved ones so that uh, they won't give it to you or you won't give it to them. Mm -hmm. And that sense of isolation um, is something that uh, I, uh, um, I have problems with. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's been tough, and hopefully, we're starting to um, come out of it. It will remain to be seen. Thank you so much. Um, I now want to ask you about the introduction to this book, "Read Dangerously." And listeners, this is a wonderful book and a very important book about the power of reading literature. And in your introduction, you write, "Quote: In America, although vastly different from Iran." The society was fast becoming polarized, too much ideology and not enough discourse, in some instances reminding me of the Islamic Republic, end quote. Can you elaborate further on ways that America was or is reminding you of the Islamic Republic? You know, I want to first make it very clear that when I say that in some instances it reminds me of the Islamic Republic, I don't think that America is Islamic Republic. But I do see in segments of this country especially trends that remind me of that uh, republic. And um, the first thing is when we begin to redefine ourselves and others in terms of 
black hats on white hats um, mm-hmm. and uh, leave no room for any form of exchange. Namely, uh, fiction and democracy are both based on understanding, the mm-hmm. need to understand even your enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and in order to fight the enemy effectively, you need to know him. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I see in the society today is a uh, is elimination rather than discourse and discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, when uh, the media and Democrats in this country are casually called enemy of the people, mm-hmm. uh, you know we fabricate enemies and then uh, try to uh, impose our own ideology on them. Mm-hmm. And and all of these are dangerous signs and that is why uh, I feel that we need fiction now more than ever yeah absolutely thank you so much for that answer and um, in Iran you write the regime pays too much attention to poets and writers harassing jailing and sometimes killing them and in America you write, not enough attention is paid to poets and writers. First, I'm hoping you can unpack this statement for us. And second, where, in your opinion, is the medium where where poets and writers have the appropriate amount of attention paid to them? Well, I, uh, by saying that in the Islamic Republic or in all totalitarian societies, uh, uh, the state pays too much attention um, to the writers and poets and artists, um, it's that the state over there has no doubt that um, uh, writers are its enemies. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they live on lies. The bigger the lie, the more effective it becomes almost. Mm-hmm. And the main um, role of fiction, as some of the writers uh, in my new book talk about, um, David Grossman, James Baldwin, and Margaret Atwood, uh, mm-hmm. the main role of the writer is to be a witness mm-hmm. and to reveal the truth. And truth is always dangerous, because once you know it, you cannot or you should not remain silent. Mm -hmm. And uh, as you know, uh, nothing is worse than um, revealing the truth. Uh, Nothing is more dangerous to a a totalitarian mindset than um, revelations about the truth. Uh, Now, in this country, uh, we don't put people in jail, uh, writers, uh, poets, uh, musicians, uh, artists in jail for uh, revealing the truth. Um, We do censor them now very uh, effectively. In fact, we have brought censorship into our lives. And there are two ways that we can harm and endanger um, poetry and fiction, writing as a whole. And one of them is censorship, to constantly mutilate imagination and ideas is a constant mutilation of the reality in which they're rooted. The second thing is indifference. And in this society right now, it is indifference that we are suffering from. 
we are too complacent. We want to be constantly entertained. We have almost an intellectual sclerosis whereby uh, we, we uh, avoid thinking. And um, that, that is as dangerous as censorship um, to the life of ideas and imagination. And how can a democracy survive without imagination and ideas? Mm. Um, you remember that, uh, for example, China, um, they would come to this country uh, to learn from what they don't have, which is our liberal art colleges. But they can't have liberal art college in China, because in order to have that, you, are, you need freedom. You need democracy. And uh, we in this country have forgotten the value of um, thinking and of imagining. Mm. Yes. Um, and I, I visited China for a while once I had um, an uncle and a grandmother who were teaching English at a university in Nanyang. And yeah, it was it was alarming the things I was not allowed to talk about Um and I'm not sure if that's changed in the last 20 years. Uh, yeah. Yeah, we will see. Well, thank you so much. Um, you write in your book that we are living in a post-Trump era. Are we living in a post-Trump era? I still hear his name multiple times every day. <laughs> yes. Yes, of course, we hear his name. And, and, and uh, we should try to avoid um, repeating his name so much because he will think that he's uh, as important as we sometimes make him out to be. What I meant was that um, post-Trump era in the sense that the apex of uh, his rule was uh, while he was president. But uh, the fact is that Trump might even be forgotten, although I doubt it, not in the near future. But yeah. his uh, mindset, that is what is important. That mindset will be with us for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it is that mindset within this society that uh, in the first uh, instance brought Trump to power. Uh, so we need to think that, okay, he's not president anymore. Maybe he won't ever get elected again. But um, his spirit, that mindset is still very much alive and very much with us. And we need to challenge that with all that we have. Hmm. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Um, to conclude the first half of this podcast, before our break, uh, and to conclude our discussion of the lead-in to your book, you write that right now books are in danger. Banned books, of course, are nothing new, but it does seem like books are being quote-unquote banned more and more often uh, for more and more ridiculous reasons. I think of the book Gender Queer that was banned from our public library system here in Wake County, North Carolina for a parental complaint uh, it has since been, been reinstated. Um, and the removal of the graphic novels, uh, Mouse, from the curriculum yeah. in Tennessee based on nudity, Mouse nudity specifically, uh, because new mice are scandalous, especially in the Holocaust. But Azar, why do you think this type of thing is happening more and more frequently, or is it happening at the same pace it always has and the media is choosing to sensationalize it more in the 2020s? Well, you know, when I tell you that sometimes when I live here, I'm reminded of the Islamic Republic, um, Mouse reminded me of that. Uh, uh, like, for example, in Iran, they 
um, uh, censored olive oil from all Popeye episodes because she, they said she's a loose woman. She's um, having an affair with Popeye without marrying him. Mm-hmm. Um, or they put scarves on, uh, in children's books, they put scarves on the head of, uh, heads of female chickens. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, uh, that kind of a thing, uh, absurdity happens so that now um, a naked mouth, I mean, mouse are naked anyway, but a naked mouse uh, in a graphic novel uh, is deemed obscene. That act in itself is obscene. Um, I don't think that it is merely the press sensationalizing uh, the censorship. I think we see it on uh, extremes, uh, at least, uh, and many people uh, are afraid to speak up against it. Um, uh, of course, uh, the Republican Party, more than any other uh, um, uh, group uh, in this country is contributing to that censorship, to uh, elimination rather uh, than uh, a connection. Uh, and uh, I, I think that um, media this time around uh, is not sensationalizing. I blame media for uh, giving uh, so much space to Trump before he was elected. Uh, I think that was sensationalizing, uh, but right now uh, we are in a very uh, serious crisis and in a period of transition. How we transition is up to us, is up to what kind of a mindset we choose. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Listeners, we are going to take a short break for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Azar Nafisi. The Book and Podcast is sponsored by Libro FM Audiobooks. Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local bookstore, Quail Ridge Books. You can pick from more than 100,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and recommendations from booksellers around the country. With Libro.fm, you'll get the same audiobooks at the same price as the largest audiobook company out there. You know the name. But you'll be part of a much different story, one that supports community. Listeners of Bookin' can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and enter Bookin', B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space. With each listen, take pride in knowing that you're supporting local bookstores. I'm back with Azar Nafisi, author of Read Dangerously, which is published by our friends at Day Street, an imprint of William Morrow. Three years or so ago, uh, my colleague Renee Martin and I were at a party in New York and in walked Salman Rushdie. Uh, this was a shocking experience to me because 20 years earlier, uh, if this had happened, I would have been searching the perimeter for someone uh, with a gun. For our yeah. listeners who may be younger or unaware, can you explain to us what happened around the release of Salman Rushdie's The Satanic Verses and why it happened? 
Well, it will uh, take a lifetime to explain it, but mm. uh, uh, to uh, be uh, short about it, um, mm. uh, Satanic Verses was deemed by some um, uh, in the Islamic world as uh, an insult to uh, the Prophet and the, the religion. Uh, it was mainly a political move, uh, especially on the part of uh, Ayatollah Khomeini, who gave a fatwa against um, the life of Salman Rushdie, saying that wherever he is in the world, uh, whoever kills him uh, will get a lump sum of money. And um, uh, his publishers were attacked. One, His Japanese translator was killed. Um, the Nobel Prize winning Najib Mahfouz and Walt Sanyaka, um, who supported him, were threatened with death with death, uh, Najib Mahfouz um, was attacked with knives. So uh, it created a great deal of violence. But in effect, the book was neither about religion, nor did it have um, any intention of um, uh, insulting Islam. It had intention of bringing to our attention um, one extremist uh, interpretation of Islam mm. and the, the passages that were deemed uh, uh, sacrilegious were passages that were going on in the mind of one of the characters in the novel who was um, crazy, who was schizophrenic and uh, it was in his hallucinations that they appeared in a place called Jahiliya. And Jahiliya in Arabic means ignorance. So it was happening to about, it was about people who in their ignorance abuse religion. That is how I read it anyway. And uh, Rushdie himself denied that uh, he had any intentions of um, insulting religion. Uh, but it brought this question to my mind that what is it in the words of a writer who has, in fact, nothing but the words, the weapons are the words, mm -hmm. that is so dangerous that an ayatollah who is one of the most powerful men in the world, feels insecure if that writer is alive. Mm -hmm. why, why is it that uh, he cannot survive um, the writer? Uh, and uh, that was why I wrote about uh, uh, Salman Rushdie. Yeah, that's a great question. And this, I think, goes without saying for many of our listeners, but just a reminder, folks, that uh, before you get up in arms about a writer or a book or uh, a podcaster or anything like this um, that's being sensationalized, read the book for yourself. Uh, listen to things for yourself and formulate your own opinion before uh, joining the, the maddening crowd. Um, can you imagine this sort of thing happening to an author in 2022 that happened to Salman Rushdie? Well, unfortunately, I can. Mm. As long as, I mean, you know, extremist, distortive uh, train, trends are always in existence. Mm. Uh, they never just completely die away. 
uh, it depends upon how we treat them, mm-hmm. whether we are serious in not fanning the flames. As you mentioned, mm-hmm. um, we, you know, we live in a democracy. We live in a free country, which means that we are supposed to be independent-minded. We are supposed to read the books for ourselves and read what the authors and different viewpoints talk about them. That is what is important. Banning a book does not do away with a totalitarian mindset. It actually brings it to the foreground. And that is why even if we don't um, uh, intend uh, to ban books, but the way we treat them, the way we remain silent when they are banned will open the way for them to be destroyed. And uh, would that imagination and ideas are uh, damaged as well. Yeah, thank you so much for that answer. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the format of this book for a moment. In this book, Read Dangerously, uh, each chapter is a letter to your father. Yes. Um, Yeah, your father who has passed away, and yet you are not only writing him letters, but asking him questions. Uh, Can you describe this process for us and why you chose to write the book in this manner? Well, you know, at first I wanted to write a book that was not only essays. I wanted to create a sense of intimacy that that I felt when I was thinking about the book. Uh, I even started writing um, the the writers to, to the letters to the writers um, that I had chosen for the book, but it didn't work. It became really artificial. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to a friend of mine about this dilemma I was in that I didn't know how to bring in the letter form without it becoming artificial. And she said, "Why don't you write to a third person?" Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden. You know, uh, the light went on my head and I thought, oh, my God, yes. And I wanted to write to my father. Uh, Before that, I had been so frustrated with what was happening in this country and with uh, the former president's presidency. I was so frustrated that I had already started writing letters. I even wrote a letter to Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, telling him what I felt about him. And then I realized that I have to calm down and keep my distance and not allow uh, Trump to take over my mind and heart. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I thought of my father. My father and I, our writing letters goes back to so long ago. When he first in his diary, he wrote a diary for me when I was four years old, and he had uh, written it in a letter form, addressing me in a letter form. And then when he was uh, gone to U.S. for his um, studies, I wrote him letters when I was six years old. And we wrote one another letters about everything, and we talked a great deal. We had so many conversations, and uh, it just felt right. Mm-hmm. that uh, he who started me on stories who gave who told me my first story and communicated with me through stories now i was going to tell him my stories mm-hmm. and uh, that is how it all started
Yeah, thank you so much. And it it works very well, tremendously. And I, you know, it's a powerful reading experience. So thank you for sharing that with us. Um, speaking of your father, your father was arrested uh, by whom and for what? Uh, he was arrested during the Shah's time. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, he was uh, the mayor of Tehran at the time he was arrested and a very popular one, the youngest, some said, and the most popular. Uh, he was a good mayor, but he wasn't a good politician. He was alone. Um, he usually uh, quipped and uh, disagreed with his superiors, and uh, he created um, two super enemies for himself. One was the Minister of Interior and the other the Prime Minister. And they uh, arrested him on trumped-up charges and uh, uh, kept him in the what they called the temporary jail for four years. Uh, several times they appealed to him. They said that they would set him free if he writes a letter and uh, apologizes uh, for his behavior. And he said he wants to have a trial and defend himself at his trial and exonerate himself, uh, which is what happened finally after four years where he defended himself in the court and he was exonerated of all charges. At first, he was exonerated of all charges except uh, insubordination, and I loved that. I mm. thought it was so great to be um, uh, accused of insubordination, but later they also dropped that charge. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Four years, I cannot imagine. Um, well, back to the topic of the books that you were writing about in this book, Read Dangerously, an older book, a much older book. Um, can you describe the disagreement you had with one of your classmates over Plato's Republic as you debated <laughs> over coffee and donuts? Well, the first time I read uh, Plato, I was, it was in my junior year, and I was... Um, uh, taking a seminar uh, in backgrounds to Renaissance. Mm -hmm. And from the very beginning, I was really, uh, and sometimes unreasonably, angry with Plato for the way he treated the poet. Uh, you, if uh, you remember, Plato's Republic um, wants to create a, a hierarchical Republic, where the philosopher king is the absolute ruler, and they keep people in their places by telling them what he calls the noble lie. Mm -hmm. And um, in this regimented world, there is no room for the poet. The poet is um, a vagrant. Uh, he is ambiguous. He brings conflict and contradictions. He doesn't praise uh, the rulers. Uh, a lot of times he goes against them. And so uh, they, uh, in that uh, re republic, uh, Socrates says that uh, we should expel the poet, the Homeric poet, uh, from our republic. And um, my uh, classmate, Dan, uh, he loved Plato. He thought that um, 
people needed a kind of ruler that was sort of a good guardian. They needed a guardian. And in order for the society to be healthy, uh, we needed to have the kind of noble lie that Plato talks about. The great thing about it was that we were really diametrically opposed, but uh, we enjoyed arguing about it. Uh, so neither I nor he uh, felt that uh, the other one should be silenced, uh, but um, uh, it uh, encouraged us to, to go and find more evidence to support our point of view. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, I, that is one reason I mention him in that book. Yeah, and that's a, it's a shame that that seems like a lost art when you can argue with someone who has a different point of view and not think about silencing them, but a sign of the times, I guess. Um, I once sold a copy of Plato's Republic to Will Smith. He was asking about the difference between two translations. I didn't even realize it was him until he walked away, um, but I digress. Um, I want to circle back around to Tennessee. We talked about the banning of mouse earlier. Yeah. Um, I saw a news story in, in a Tennessee town uh, where a preacher was holding a book burning. Um, oh, my God. Like, yeah, and I believe they were burning Harry Potter and some other things. I don't recall the exact books. But this, of course, ties into your writing about Fahrenheit 451. Is this a book? Um, that we should be reading right now in 2022, Fahrenheit 451? I'm so glad you brought that um, into our attention. I think so. I definitely think so. Uh, As you know, the subject of Fahrenheit uh, 451 is the fact that now um, they use the firefighters not to put out the fires, but to burn uh, books. Mm-hmm. and burn houses that uh, of people who keep bo- those books. Uh, um, Ray Bradbury has um, a wonderful quotation. He says, you don't have to burn books to destroy a culture. All you have to do is to make people not read. Mm-hmm. And uh, in this uh, country, uh, we have already, as you mentioned, uh, started burning books and being indifferent and not reading books. So um, all the readers now should take this very seriously. It is not just writers who should be defending the, their, um, uh, their writing. It is also the readers because readers and writers are joint at the hip. Mm -hmm. The the writer's freedom guarantees reader's freedom and vice versa. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's important for readers to do so to defend these writers because they've read the books as opposed to people who are oftentimes pulling these isolated passages or or sound bites out. Um, And there's so much more to cover here in your book, but our time is running short. Uh, I do want to alert our listeners to some of the authors you cover who we are not talking about, but whom are covered in chapters that should definitely be read. Uh, Toni Morrison, Zora Neale Hurston, Margaret Atwood, James Baldwin, Tennessee Coates. Uh, But in closing, I want to ask about a book that many of our listeners may not be familiar with. And that book is To the End of the Land by David Grossman. Oh, 
This is a book that you say you carried around even when you were not reading it, just so you could be in its presence. Um, can you tell us about this book and what it meant to you? Well, yes. Um, books I loved, I sort of carried them like a talisman, and this book certainly was that way. Um, it is um, a sad book in many ways and a hopeful one in other ways. Mm. Um, uh, it focuses on this Israeli woman who herself is against the conflict and the war against Palestine. Um, but um, her son has gone to the war, to war and uh, she's afraid that he might get killed. And she magically believes that if she's not at home, when uh, people come to notify her of his death, he won't die. Mm. And he she decides while he's away, um, she was going to go on a trip with him before he went to war, and now she decides to uh, take her um, former lover and the, the guy who uh, fathered her son uh, with her to a journey around the land of Israel. And during this journey, she keeps telling stories and um, creates her relationship with the two men in her life, as well as her sons, and as well as uh, towards their homeland. Uh, and um, she acts like Shahrazad, as if telling the stories about her son and around her son uh, will make him immortal. So storytelling uh, becomes uh, this uh, way of uh, saving the son that she cannot in actuality uh, save. Uh, and um, it is also uh, an anti-war book. Uh, she wants to remain decent in times that are indecent amidst war. How do we remain decent in indecent, indecent times is one of the main themes of this book. And I think that it is very relevant uh, question uh, to the times that we live in right now. How do we not become like our enemy? Absolutely. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to go pick that book up as soon as we wrap up here. Well, um, Thank you. And thank you for writing this important book. We will be recommending it to everyone. If you're listening to this podcast right now, this book is for you. Order it from www.quillridgebooks.com. Right now with free shipping, you will not regret it. That is a guarantee, the first type of guarantee um, of this nature that I've made on this podcast in 200 episodes, I think, but you will not regret purchasing this book. I promise. Uh, listeners, I have been speaking with Azar Nafisi, author of Read Dangerously, which is published by our friends at Day Street, an imprint of William Morrow. Azar, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. Thank you. Once again, I would like to thank Azar Nafisi for joining me. Copies of Read Dangerously can be purchased 
at www.quailridgebooks.com with free shipping. I would also like to thank our sponsor, Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free book and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Booking.